Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Power Your Life. I'm Dr. Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And I have a special smile on my face today because the person that you're going to meet in a few minutes, he and I had this wonderful brief conversation, and I already am in love with his book and everything that he stands for, and that's so great. And I'm talking about Walter Zajac, hope I pronounced it right, who's an author, an acclaimed psychic medium, a certified tarot reader, an NLP coach, a Reiki master, and a love coach. He's empowered and guided thousands through enlightening psychic readings, inspiring coaching, and healing sessions globally. Walter's experience working in 12 different countries has given him keen insight into people's distinctions, commonalities, as well as cultures. Walter's life has been filled with verified psychic phenomena, a near-death experience, and hundreds of dreams and visions that have come true. Walter believes we're here on earth to overcome challenges and experience contrasts. We are here to love, be happy, and have fun. His most recent book, They Came Beyond Deja Vu, is a powerful memoir of how Walter came to find his psychic Welcome, Walter. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Joanne. I am good. I'm really honored to be here. And I want to say that you and I seem to have, in, a lot, in uh, many ways, the same basic philosophy of, of, of how to empower people, and that is to focus on gratitude and fun. Fun. You have to have fun in order to be happy, and the only thing we ever have is now. I totally agree, and yes, we're kindred yeah. spirits, guard, and that's so important. So the first <laughs> yeah. thing I want to know, because I'm fascinated by the title, and I know it from the book, is why yeah. that title, They Came Beyond Deja Vu, Walter? The first part, They Came, is based on the fact that um, in my childhood, I had two imaginary friends who... Um, uh, I saw details about each of them having a very traumatic experience in their lives, and I saw details of each of their traumatic experiences over and over and over, and I interacted with them otherwise, um, you know, on the psychic level. And they came because when I was 44, both of these imaginary friends became real people in my life. And I was able to tell both of them details about their lives that they, that they had never told anybody before. And not details that I saw in the moment, you know, the tuning in psychically, but details I had seen all my life and interacted and fell in love with these girls. They were teenage girls when they were my imaginary friends. Then the second part, the subtitle, Beyond Deja Vu, 
most of us know deja vu or to some extent dreams coming true you know basically feeling like oh my god i've been here before when we're experiencing an event and beyond deja vu because both of these women when they were my imaginary friends it was 15 years before they were born wow that's amazing yeah how how did they react when you met them and you had all the information from about their lives? Were they shocked? I mean, tell, give our give our listeners yeah. more information. With both of them, and I'll focus on the one that I was more involved with than the other, and that was the accident girl. Her name is Maria in the book. I right. um, the way she reacted was initially. Well, actually, I'll just say this quickly. Um, I was working a job. Um, after a successful music career, I had to go to do what us musicians call a day job <laughs> to support myself. And I was not happy um, because I wanted to play music. And uh, in this particular job, I needed to call uh, companies and, and, and give prices for things. And this one company, I called several people. And the receptionist always just really touched my heart with only saying, um, thank you. I'll connect you one moment, please. Right. And it was a voice that just totally touched my heart. And yet I was busy doing my stuff. Right. And so for three years, this voice, he's like, Oh my God, who is this girl? And then one day after three years, I made her laugh and I made her laugh so hard that she couldn't talk. She couldn't even say one moment, please. I'll connect you. And after that, we started talking and it was a long distance relationship. And we talked every day, and I got to know her, and both of us realized, and I'm sure many people in the audience have experienced something like this, where you just feel like, oh, my God, haven't I known you all my life? And she felt that about me. I felt that about her, and yet I didn't recognize her as my imaginary friend, not yet, until about three weeks after we had been speaking, she said, I have a confession to make. I was in a horrifying accident about six years ago, and my face was, uh, my head was crushed in. I've had 17 mm. operations, and, and my face is, is full of scars, and you probably wouldn't like me. And, and so then I asked about the accident, and she began to describe the accident, and I finished the story for her. I finished the story in detail because I had seen it over and over and over, uh, ever since I was about five years old. And that freaked her out and yet touched her heart, too, that, wow, somebody knows this, right? And then, then, though, thinking about the actual facts of how could he know this, that began to freak her out a little bit. And yet we got really close. And then another couple of weeks later, I was uh, um, I wanted to give her more details about what I knew. And I literally told her five things that she had never told another human about her experience. One of them was floating above her body in the truck cabin, um, floating above her body in surgery, um, going to the other side, beyond the light, the near-death experience, which I shared with her in detail. And um, the day that her bandages came off and how she freaked out, I shared those things. And, and she was just um, flabbergasted that, number one, I would know things that she had never told anybody else. And then secondly, uh, just beyond belief in her own mind of how could he possibly know. And then pretty quickly she went to a place of, wait, wait, this is crazy. 
and <laughs> this is creepy. And and for all I know, Walter, maybe you're crazy. And then she completely broke off our friendship, and it devastated me almost as much as. Uh, and I, we haven't covered this yet. The beginning of the book, I was sent to an orphanage, and that day was devastating. And this day was as devastating, almost as devastating, because she was my connection to my childhood. I thought at the moment. But the beautiful part, Joanne, is my friends had been telling me for years, dude, you need some help. <laughs> Just knowing what I had been through. And, you know, my response was, ah, I got this. I got this, right? But meeting her and the devastation I felt when she cut off our friendship made me realize my friends are right. I need some help. And so I found a psychologist, which was the best thing that I ever could have done for myself. And the wonderful thing is the psychologist that I found is the daughter of a Toltec shaman. And many people in the audience maybe know that the teachings of Don Juan by Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan Matus was a Toltec shaman. It's an ancient tradition in Central and South America that goes back many thousands of years ancient wisdom in the shamanic tradition and most people know well and then also um the four agreements don miguel ruiz he's a toltec shaman and uh, most people know that a shaman goes to other realities other worlds and interacts and has you know amazing out of body and out of world experiences and my psychologist benita is her name she uh uh, experienced these things with her father from her earliest memories. Just crazy, crazy stuff. And in my first session with her, I told her my story, and she told me the fact that she was the daughter of a Toltec shaman. And she said, Walter, compared to what I've seen and experienced with my Toltec shaman father, what you experienced, Walter, is nothing. Nothing. And you're not crazy. You're psychic you're a psychic. And that was the first time anybody had really classified me as psychic. I had been aware of just knowing things, right? But, you know, like most people who experience trauma and extremes in their lives, seems normal because we don't have anything to compare it to. Right. Why do you think, and this is so fascinating, I've studied shamanism too many years ago. Why do you think, Walter, that people are very hesitant and very afraid, like like that female that you knew that stuff. Why why does that scare people so much? Um, even in my own experience um, in the psychic world, which I've been aware of since my earliest memories, um, especially after I was sent to an orphanage, I turned to the psychic world because the physical world was just completely unacceptable and unbelievable. And yet I equated the two and the psychic world then became something that reminded me of the trauma that I went through being sent to an orphanage at six years old. And um, so there was a scary element about it to begin with, just because I connected the two. And then secondly, And I think most people can relate to this part. For most of us, the psychic world, the spirit world, um, is the unknown. We don't actually have any um, or not much conscious awareness of of experiences. Um, 
psychic experiences, and so we don't necessarily see them as real. And the main thing for most of us, and this really affected me, is we don't feel like we have control there. And for, I think, pretty much all of us, we have to feel like we're in control in order to just feel safe. You know, at the very well, least, I having a sense of knowing what to expect. And <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just me because that's, you know, I've had experiences too. And I just find that, that yeah. the more that you open up to to that, and I believe everybody has that capacity, the more information and the more that you receive from from the other side, from psychic information, whatever. You're talking about, you know, your childhood a lot, and, and the book is filled with that and about being at the orphanage. Can you share that story? Because you were young, and that must have been, like you described a little bit, devastating. Tell, tell our listeners yeah. about that. Thank you, Joanne. Um, let me set the scene. It was uh, war-torn Germany. 11 years after World War II, and most people don't know that. 36 cities, every big city in Germany, was anywhere from 80 to 95% leveled by American and British bombers towards the end of the war. Mm. Main reason, the main reason was the Nazis were hiding right. munitions plants and tank plants and you name it in amongst the population, and um, they were very strong militarily, and the U.S. and, and Americans, sorry, the Americans and British um, thought, thought that the only way to um, find and destroy these munitions factories and otherwise was to do, what, to do what they called carpet bombing, which is, you know, line up a whole bunch of planes, bombers um, in a wide array, and each of them is dropping streams of bombs in a row, right? So the whole city gets destroyed. My city was about 95% leveled, and 11 years after the war, it was still 50% bombed out shells of buildings and piles of rubber. rubble. We would take the bus to downtown, and block after block after block was a war scene, just destruction. And poverty, um, my city went from a population of 260,000 down to 50,000 in the six years of World War II. And um, I remember, well, my uncle and aunt and, and their three kids didn't even have a bathroom in, in the house. They used an outhouse. Um, my family did have a toilet, but we didn't have a bathtub or shower. We took, sh- uh, took baths in a metal tub on the kitchen floor Saturdays. And, wow. you know, with hot water from the stove, just like uh, the old pioneering days in the U.S. And um, I would regularly see men without an arm or men without a leg. My father had a friend who had n- no legs and got around on a, on a, a four, four-wheel cart close to the ground, like uh, Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. Of course, Eddie Murphy was faking it. Um, right. So poverty. And um, I was very excited because um, I was getting sent on a train ride and I thought that was so wonderful because everybody else in the family got to do wonderful things and I never got to do anything exciting by myself. And a Red Cross lady took me on a two-hour train ride and then um, my expectation was, well, yeah, I'm coming home that night after the train ride. But after about a 30-minute walk to the countryside, I arrived at a place called Orphanage, which was a word I'd never heard before, and went to the headmistress's office, and she said, 
that I would never be going home again. And wow. it didn't make any sense to me. And she she did explain that my mom was too sick to have me be at home and I would never be going home again. I would be living there from now on. And that was unbelievable. Where do you put that? Where do you put that? And, you know, for me, that was look, having looked back on it and having, having therapy about it, I totally lost my power. I lost my power and I became a victim. And I perceived myself as a victim for decades after that until I got the therapy. And um, the after a year at the orphanage, I was adopted by an American military couple, which is why I speak American. <laughs> and but they were they were abusive. They were abusive and within a few weeks I was getting spanked so hard that my bare butt was bleeding. They would oh, wow. use tools, sticks and the back of a hairbrush to beat my bare bottom and it would bleed and then it, you know it just got worse and um the um, the whole point I'm making is I completely lost myself, lost my sense of power, lost any sense of self-worth or self-esteem. And all of that I had to get back through therapy. And that's not always easy to be able to, to feel totally disempowered and, and lost, yeah. really. Were you ever it's able not... to reconnect with family at all or the original yes, family actually. or no? Yes, actually. And um, I didn't write about them in the book. It, the, the, I wrote the book as a novel, um, but it really is my life story. Every scene in the book happened to me, but I changed the uh, the people's names and the, the names of places, uh, mostly um, simply to protect people's privacy. And I, I did have a half-brother and a half-sister, um, um, who I wrote about as my cousin Manfred. I didn't include them both because just to protect their privacy. But yes, when I was 23, I found them through the help of uh, the German embassy in Seattle. As a matter of fact, I found them and I found my biological father who had not been married to my mother and who was a severe alcoholic and wife beater. He would regularly come home like every few nights come home completely drunk and beat the crap out of our mom. And, you know, I would witness that and try to help her and get thrown against the wall and, you know, recognizing there's no way I could help her. And I mean, truly, I would watch him pinning her arms down with his knees as he's sitting on top of her and pounding on her breasts, pounding on her face. That's how much of a wonderful man that he was. And I found him again, and that was... I visited him, and that was just an, an awful experience for me because all I could think of was watching him beat the crap out of my mama. Well, and he never and, changed. And because they weren't married, sorry, sorry, let me say this quickly, because they weren't married and, and he was so abusive, she made arrangements for me to, first of all, be sent to an orphanage rather than be in his custody and to be adopted by Americans, and uh, specifically Americans because Germany was so poor at that time. Right. You know, your your story, your, your, real, your real story, and again, the story that's in the book, and I understand having to, to preserve names of people and make it fiction because I've done that myself with more heaven, but yeah. I think what's What's important is that 
you've been through the abuse. You you've seen horror through through what was the, you know the war that was going on and 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 everything that was happening to people and your sense of optimism and faith and what it, you know it, it's not it's unshakable in so many ways. How did you get to that place after all the trauma and everything that you've been through? There were two things that my psychologist, Vanita, focused on in every session. Number one was, Walter, be here. Be here now. Be here now. And my, and I think many people in the audience can relate to this, because, and because so many people have gone through trauma in, in childhood and or adulthood, and that is... Um, always having to watch out for what what could be happening what what do i need to prepare for right so we're living in the future of of what could possibly happen and then we're living in the past of what did happen the trauma right reliving it trying to forget it and so we're not here now and she emphasized over and over and over which pretty much every self-help book um and modern um religious figures talk about and that is the fact that the only thing we have is now this moment this moment you can't be happy for 2 31 p.m tomorrow afternoon until 2 31 tomorrow afternoon is now the only time we can make choices and have power or do anything is now and then the second thing that she taught me that really changed my life is love little walter love little Walter, little five-year-old Walter. And I know that most people in the audience can relate to this. I've heard um, over 20 uh, psychics, uh, both famous and just regular working people like me, say that we are the wisest we will ever be when we're five years old and younger because we're sweet and precious and innocent and so full of life and so full of love and we're still connected to the psychic world where we came from. Most of us oh, yeah. have had psychic experiences since that time, and you know, like um, even a little bit unbelievable. And yet, my observation is they're real. And to love that little person is the most healthy thing that we can ever do. I have an ongoing relationship with little Walter, and you know, I think you know this for sure. Einstein said over a hundred years ago, there is no time. And it's right. been proven scientifically ever since. And so little Walter, five-year-old Walter, actually still exists. He still exists. I totally agree and with I, that. And I have a relationship yeah. with little Joanne. And, yeah, I love and it. <laughs> it's important to keep them happy, too, and help them to yeah. to have that sense of excitement and love and exploration and creativity yeah. and all the stuff that, that those little ones bring into us and help us yes absolutely yeah both ways but the main the main healing thing for me and i think probably for you too was realizing that little little walter didn't get loved especially the orphanage experience made me question whether i was even lovable but really learning to love him and see his beauty was wow it was amazing it was amazing and i fought her on that I fought her on that because, and I think people can relate to this too. Most of us think, well, I don't want to have to love Walter in order to be loved. I just want to be loved. 
right? It seems backwards, but we have to love ourselves. But I ourselves. get it. You know, it's, I, think, I believe, you know, and I so agree with you. I think it's so important to love those parts of ourselves, all parts of ourselves, even even the, the yeah. adolescent and the teen. Yeah. Because we need to be able to experience that and for ourselves. I don't know how else to put it, but yeah. I think it's, it's yeah. very important. So, Walter... People are telling you there's something strange about you and, and you're having all these experiences. How did it feel? And how does it feel now in retrospect? But how did it feel to recognize that you do have psychic abilities, that you're able to have dreams that that can come true, that you were able to see so many things and experience things that many people can't or don't? How did you come into yourself with that? Um, it was something that I had thought was normal because like I mentioned earlier, I had no other life to compare and I had always had psychic awarenesses. My goodness, having imaginary friends who I saw in detail and interacted with in detail. Um, it was just a part of my normal reality. But then when my psychologist began to, define it as me being psychic, then slowly, gradually, I began to own it, but um, really only in a personal sense, and and especially in the sense of what she tried to emphasize, and that is, Walter, you used your psychic ability to find these two entities, the imaginary friends, 15 years before they were born, to find them in the spirit world, in order for you to have companionship. And it was the most effective companionship that I could have had because I couldn't rely on the people in the physical world. These were people that were always there for for years and years and years. They were with me. And then eventually I began to realize that she, uh, Venita, constantly emphasized, and that is, Walter, baby, you're powerful. Because you have this insight, use it, use it to make choices, use it to gain your confidence, use it to go to that place where you're connected and have a relationship with little Walter. You know, most of us, we have to do that even in the psychic realm. And, you know, another thing that I noticed from your books, your work with clients that you also do, and and this is me refining the uh, work I did with Vanita, the psychologist, was really learning the importance of gratitude. Being grateful mm. changes everything. The moment we can be grateful, we make this moment a better moment. You know, even if you're having tension with somebody, if you, if you can think of something to be grateful about, uh, grateful for about them, then your heart opens up a little bit to them and the conversation becomes nicer and you have a better moment and they usually open up their their hearts too if we open up our hearts. And then the second thing is, oh my God, and I can't emphasize this enough and you seem to do it too and that is have fun, have fun, have fun, have fun and do it now. Do it now because now is all we ever have and all of us, we want happiness. We want happiness, right? And most of us are defining that with, okay, after I get this, after I get that, after I do this, after people accept me this way, I'll be happy, right? But no, happiness is now, absolutely now. You have to make this moment fun, otherwise happiness eludes you. 
You know, I think that's so important, Walter, and I love to make other people happy, make them smile and laugh for a moment, <laughs> because that shared joy, that shared smile and, and and gratitude is such a beautiful thing to experience, and it it opens uh, your heart in, in so many wonderful ways. So I love this yeah. book, and... How did you decide that you, you were going to write it? What was what was going on in your mind at that time or your heart that that said I got to yeah. put this out? Um it was what was it? 1995. I went on what I like to call a pilgrimage um to mm. Germany. This was while I was still in therapy and I went to the orphanage and I went to the apartment where I had been born and wow. lived until right before the orphanage. And I had an experience there that is the end of the book. I came full circle, and I don't want to give too much information about that, but it, it really made me realize my power and who I truly was and the fact that I had always known things that I um, ha wasn't using known things about myself and how to take my power. And that is what inspired me to just begin. I have to write this down. But yeah, that was 1995. And so it took me over 20 years to finish the Hummer. <laughs> and it took very, uh, like, I'll say five or six different forms uh, until... Uh, a few years ago, I bought a course on how to write a novel, how to organize it um, so that it writes itself and so that a publisher might be interested. No more than 70 scenes and, you know, various devices that you use in in keeping people's attention and then also keep ways to keep them on the edge of their seat. And then I literally took a year to organize it, to write out these, uh, the, an outline of each scene and what was the purpose and where was it going and why did it need to be there. And, of course, there were so many scenes. Oh, I, I left out about as equal, an equal number of scenes because they just didn't lead to anything. And so I really feel that I succeeded in keeping people on the edge of their seats, keeping them in the mystery until the end. And... Um, that was fun. That was really fun. Whereas when I first started, it was just a narrative and it didn't have much organization and I didn't get much satisfaction out of it because I wasn't writing with um, the, the intent of helping people understand that um, you're not alone in what you have been through. You know, so many people in our world have uh, experienced abuse or abandonment in their own lives. And I wanted to inspire people to really love themselves. That seems to be the key to everything that we want in life. And then to show people that um, experiences like deja vu, dreams coming true, ESP, where you just know that somebody else is going to call or how they're doing, those are commonplace. And most of us experience them, and it's really important to be able to and to begin to use that information, your psychic moments, as information to help ourselves to make decisions and to even take care of ourselves, to stay away from particular people or to open up to other people who feel safe. 
You know, I totally agree with that. I think we all have those abilities, and and some and sometimes people just deny them or are afraid of them or or just don't want to pay attention to them. But as you said, you can develop them beautifully, and when you do, they uh, and again, this is me talking. Can you and I know this? They <laughs> enrich our lives. And I mean, I don't know yeah. what I would be without being able to tune in to that inner guidance. And it, I yeah. think it just deepens our connection to ourselves and also to life and to everything else that's going on. So so I totally support that. Yeah. So we are Wonderful. getting at that time. I could talk to you forever, Walter. <laughs> You're <laughs> fascinating. You. I'm having a good time. Thank you, Joanne. <laughs> so tell our listeners, Walter, how they can get a hold of you, how they can get this incredible book, that really, yes. even though it's fiction, it, it's very much your life story in many ways and, and yeah. share the beauty of, of who you are and what you've been through. Thank you. The title of the book, again, is They Came Beyond Deja Vu. It's available on Amazon as a paperback, as a Kindle, and as an audiobook, which I narrate. And people can find me and um, get inspired and help me empower them at psychicwalter.com. And there's information about the book there, too. You can read and or listen to five scenes from the book to get an idea of what it's like. Wonderful. I have a, I, I'm curious about something. Those people that adopted you that were abusive, did you have to yeah. stay with them, or what happened? Yeah, yeah, 11 years. And... Um, I got out of there as soon as I could after high school. I went into, I auditioned for the Air Force Band, as a matter of fact, and, and got accepted. And, you know, and speaking of gratitude and, and forgiveness, you know, that's a thing that uh, most um, people who try to help others suggest is critical, and that is to forgive those who have harmed us. And what I found in these, with, with these abusive parents, the most effective way to forgive them was to focus on gratitude. If we focus only on forgiveness for most of us, that's a bit hard, you know, and we almost have to push ourselves into, okay, I forgive you. Right. But, um, um, my adopted father was a amateur musician and I had musical talent ever since just, you know, it came naturally to me. I played, um, accordion, then piano, then clarinet, then tenor sax, then vibraphone, and then I ended up on the drum set in the Air Force Band. But he bought me instruments and just, you know, loved my talent, and it led me to a music career, a successful music career of 28 years, where I was in a one-hit wonder band, and then I played large venue concerts backing up recording artists in Europe for 10 years, and it was just the coolest thing. And I was able to find myself and bury my 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 pain in music and so when i think about him i say thank you man thank you thank you for giving me that because in spite of the fact that he was abusive he gave me music the opportunity to really find myself and to, and find my comfort and find my peace through music yeah and that was the gift and and oftentimes we yeah. go through experiences that that we wonder how how can we possibly get through it, and there there can be a little bit of a silver lining there. You have to look for it, or maybe step away from it, and in retrospect, really see that. So I think that's beautiful. Do you still play music? 
Um, sometimes just in, in um, mostly just percussion because in, um, I live in an apartment and it's hard to, well, it's impossible to play a drum set. So just percussion instruments, but I miss it. Absolutely. You know, I used to play for thousands of people and, and many years in nightclubs and it's, it's a wonderful feeling to inspire people's hearts, you know, to b- bring an audience to the place where many people are crying. Or, you know, in the darkness, they're holding their, their lighters up in the air and it looks like a magical Christmas tree with thousands of people. It's inspiring. It, it is. But you inspire people in so many other ways, too. I, I hope that you continue Thank with you. the music and your inspiration. What <laughs> would you like to leave our listeners with before we go, Walter? Fun. Fun, fun, fun. And now, <laughs> you know... One of the things that I do is uh, talk to, as we say in Hollywood, talk to dead people. <laughs> and, um, you know, each time I prove, to, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I prove to the client that it really is Uncle Bob. And, you know, so to give it credibility and consistently, every person on the other side tells me, oh, my God, my life was too short. No matter how old they were when they died, I did not love enough. I didn't show it enough. I didn't say it enough. I didn't spend enough time and I didn't have enough fun. And they all emphasize that, oh, my God, do it now, do it now, because after you die, you can't fix it. You cannot fix it because, you know, they try. The people on the other side, they try to communicate with us, but nobody's listening because we don't want to see an entity in the room. We don't want to hear voices, right? So most, most of us block that out. And so the other side, they're trying to communicate, and yet we're not listening. And they're trying to communicate these things. Life is too short. Love, 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 love. Fun, 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 fun. You have to do that. Now. I totally agree. (laughs) And you and I are listening. So that's important. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Walter, you are a gift. And people need to connect with you and definitely read your book. They came beyond deja vu. Thank you so much for being who you are and for going through all of that and coming out still believing in fun and joy and the other Uh, side and gratitude and all the things that are so important to enrich us in so many different ways. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having this platform and all the work that you put into hosting people like me. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks again, Walter. Take care. Thank you, Joanne. So think about what Walter said, because everything that he's talked about, and I find him fascinating, is really about you taking a look at your life and figuring out, well, even though I maybe have had abuse or or trauma or or unpleasant situations, where can I find the joy? Where, Where can I find the gratitude? And I'm not saying our lives are easy. I've been through a lot of different challenges, which I'm not going to share right now, but when you begin to look beyond that and find something that that can open your heart and your mind and let you see the beauty of the moment as as Walter so beautifully said being in the now it really is is a wonderful thing so take this time today and every day to spend those moments feeling 
a sense of gratitude for even being here, for even having that moment and even having the next moment. Because as Walter said so aptly, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So empower yourself. Power your life today. Just take a few steps into that moment of now and be grateful that it is and be grateful that you are too. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.